Thank you for listening to this podcast from KX93.5. We invite you to tune in for more great music and talk on our grassroots nonprofit radio station here in Laguna Beach, California. No matter where you are in the world, you can listen to our station at kx93.5.com or on our smartphone apps. Right now, here's Awakening Code Radio from KX93.5. You're listening to Awakening Code Radio. Mind-expanding, heart-opening, talking music to raise your vibration. Some people consider it the shifting of the ages. Others see it as a whole new paradigm for humanity. But whatever you want to call it, it's hard to deny that we are in a moment of immense change. A moment challenging us to wake up and live life more consciously. This is Eric Rankin. And I'm Michelle Anderson. And you're listening to Awakening Code Radio. Where the conversation is always about raising the vibration of love, compassion, happiness, forgiveness, stewardship, health, and peace. Thank you for joining the conversation. This is Deepak Chopra. Hi, I'm Marianne Williamson. Hi, this is Greg Braden. And you are listening to Awakening Code. Awakening Code. Awakening Code Radio. Thanks for joining us here on Awakening Code Radio. I'm your host, Eric Rankin. And I'm Michelle Anderson, your co-host. And we have a really special show. We have had Greg Braden on our show uh, for about half an hour, a year and a half ago or so. He was speaking locally here in Orange County. He will be speaking at the Agape International Spiritual Center on September 11th. Not uh, November 11th. November 11th. 11-11. Yeah, 11, Eric not, Rankin. I'm confused. Anyway, yeah, I know where I am on this timeline. You're I know thinking where I am. about 9-11. That's very telling. I don't know why I'm thinking it, but yes, November 11th. And uh, that's how I knew about his new book, Human by Design. And I go, wow, maybe we can, uh, if he's in media mode, which I know writers like you, Greg, uh, are you know, wanting to share when you've written a new book. And this is a profound book. Oh, um, this is the book of books. It really is. I feel honestly that this is one of our most, if not our potentially most important show that we've done because uh, we're not only looking back at why are we here, you know, what and how did we get here? We've had Michael Tellinger on the air talking about that. But where are we going? What is our purpose here? And you address all these things. So thank you so much for being with us, Greg. We really appreciate it. Well, well Eric and Michelle, thank you so much for we worked together before, and you invited me back anyway. So thank you. <laughs> well, you're the uh, man. Thank you, and and uh, I, I'm happy. I've, I've been on the road. I've been out, actually out of the country. I'm learning more about my schedule listening to you than I have since <laughs> I've been back. Well, but this, uh, I, I am really excited about this book. It took, uh, it, you know, it took 32 years to write it because it took 32 years for the science, the new discoveries in science, and the technology that allows those discoveries, the, the DNA discoveries, for example. It took 32 years for that to catch up with what many of us feel intuitively and what many of our uh, most ancient and cherished spiritual traditions have always told us. And, and that is um, that evolution, uh, as we have come to know it through the teachings of uh, the theories of Charles Darwin, uh, evolution is not our story. Now, I'm, I'm a scientist. I'm a degree geologist. Um, and I certainly uh, believe that evolution uh, as, a, as a biological mechanism, that is a fact, and I've seen evolution in the fossil record. I've seen it for plants. I've seen it for animals. There, there's always been a problem. 
when it comes to humans because the physical evidence has has broken down. It's been really hard to connect the physical evidence, and we can talk about that in just a few minutes because that that surprises a lot of people. But what made this book possible is now, within just the last couple of years, uh, Eric and Michelle, the the DNA evidence, the the technology that we used to think was science fiction, like Jurassic Park technology, where they extract DNA mm-hmm. from the the fossilized remains of of dinosaurs. We are actually extracting that DNA now from the fossilized remains of beings that were believed to be our ancestors. And once we have that DNA, it doesn't lie. We can build a genome of those forms of life, and we can compare it to our genome today. And it, uh, it is shaking the world of evolution, of biology, uh, the, the history of, of humankind. And I, I just have to be really honest, there is a reluctance, and in many cases there's a flat-out resistance to sharing these new discoveries because it messes up the story. Well, so, it, it, yeah, and it messes up both stories. It messes up the religious story, and it messes up the science story. So you, you kind of got nobody. Here we've got this elephant in the room, and both camps, the major camps, are going... Yeek, this makes both of us a little off in our storytelling or even our research. Well, sure. So for, for our, our listeners, I just want to be really clear. The, the book, it's actually written in, in two parts. It's almost two books. Uh, and the first part of the book is the science describing everything that I'm sharing, although it's written in lay terms. And I took the technical stuff, uh, a lot of it, uh, and put it into the back of the book. There's an entire, I think it's like 35 pages of, of references of peer-reviewed science. So these aren't, you know, new age theories or hypotheses. This is, this is rock-solid science in diverse, uh, diverse uh, disciplines of science. Uh, I'm simply bringing it together, and I'm uh, sharing a message that is very well known in some scientific circles, and it is not commonly shared in, uh, <clears throat> in the mainstream. This first part of the book, the second part of the book, uh, now that we know what we know about ourselves, it appears that we are intended to embrace these uh, uh, awesome potentials within us. The the way that we are, <clears throat> excuse me, the way that the DNA uh, mutated, the the timing, the the suddenness with which it happened, the precision with which it happened, the timing. It appears that there is it's not random, uh, and scientists are very quick to say that it is we cannot attribute the the genetic mutations that give us our uniqueness it's it cannot happen from evolution as we know it today evolution alone something else happened so the second part of the book is acknowledging that saying now that we know that how how do we make the best of this awesome potential how and here's the key we are literally wired to self-regulate in a way that no other form of life uh, is designed to do so that means we on demand we can wake up in the morning and say in this moment you know i choose to enhance my immune response i, I choose to awaken my anti-aging enzymes uh, i i choose to access uh, but deep states of intuition that that inform me of the world around me in ways that, that i can't through my normal perceptions we can do these things on demand when we, in the moment that we choose to do it, and no other form of life can do that. So the second part of the book is what I've learned from the monks and the nuns and the yogis and the abbots and the shamans and the curandaros and in the monasteries and in the jungles and the deserts who have preserved the wisdom of the things that we're talking about in a non-scientific way. 
and then taken it one step further because they give us the instructions and the techniques of how we actually embrace these potentials. And that's all I want to do in the book, Eric and Michelle. I want to go beyond just talking about it. So I've included, uh, if I can't be with my readers uh, in person in your living rooms, <laughs> then I've included some, some techniques uh, <clears throat> that, that actually help to do everything that we're talking about here today. So, so I just wanted to kind of encapsulate that. We can go in and, and talk in details now about the discoveries. But, Absolutely. But the, for people that aren't into the discoveries, the second part of the book is about how we apply those discoveries in our lives. Well, I really appreciate that you wrote it that way. And <clears throat> I have to admit, since Eric had the book and I didn't, um, we happened to get together on Sunday for my birthday. And I said, bring the book, bring the book. I need to see the book. So I didn't have time to read the entire thing. And I saw what you did, how you laid it out in, in the beginning, you know, with the scientific. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go straight to what I'm familiar with, which is loving and compassion and kindness and intuition. And I dug right in and found so much that I resonated with. Um, and, and I thought it was, it was a wink from the universe to bring me to my 11-5 birthday on page 115. Do you see that there? Wow, happy One, birthday. Thank you. And, and you, it's the chapter you talk about science can't measure the capacity to love. And that just went straight to my heart. I started crying. I was holding the book in my hand. And I thought, this is it. This is it, that our capacity to love is so much greater than most people even realize. And when you have an experience with, um, you know, it's, I guess you would call it an out-of-body experience or something like that, where I've had this experience in Peru, merging with the all that is and feeling more love than you ever knew your heart could hold. Something happens, something changes you. And, you know, maybe from a scientific standpoint, they might be able to prove that, you could, you know, it changes your DNA or something like that when your sure. heart is cracked open like that. But I really appreciate appreciated that part of the book and, and the part that you talk about compassion, I think. Um, oh, well, we have to dive into that because, you know, my, my personal journeys have led me in the recent, within the last three months of why are we here? And it talks so much to this book. I felt like I was just like in this loop. But his part two starts with awakening the new human story. Like, wow, we're here. We are in awakening code radio and, <laughs> and awakening because that is the word. We are in a moment as we move out of the analog age of, of how life has happened and moving into the digital binary age. This is an apex moment. And this is what we're doing. We are awakening to something profound about our existence. And Greg's book tells us really what it is. And so Not just tells us, but gives us tangible tools and how to apply it, it. Exactly. So let's let's address the first bombshell, Greg, that, you know, this evolutionary story that we've all been taught in school that incorporates the Darwinian theory of evolution and everything else is is not right. And that's the first thing that's just going to blow people's minds and, and be, you know, taken aback by. And yet, yes, as you've stated, you've you've mentioned the science now supports it. But you drop in and say, here's the moment. You're talking about 200,000 years ago. Mm. Something big happened in our timeline. So. Right, right. Well, uh, first, what I want to do, I just want to say a couple words about Charles Darwin because there, there are um, – I've had some emails from people. Actually, I was doing a presentation in, um, in London, and one of Charles Darwin's descendants was in my – <laughs> mm. Wow! A great, a great, great niece or something like that was in my uh, was in my audience, 
and she really appreciated what I'm about to say. And, and what I'm about to say is this. Darwin, uh, he was a scientist. I think he was a good scientist. He could not possibly have known in his day what we now know today. Uh, and Darwin, uh, I spent time reading his, his manuscripts and the personal letters that he wrote to other scientists as I was researching this work. And I have to say, Darwin never intended for his theories to last forever. Uh, if you go to a, a Western university today, that would be the first thing for your mind. You'd think it's like a sealed deal. But Darwin said himself, he goes, this theory is only good until new evidence overturns my theory. And he said, all I'm trying to do is get us away from basing everything that we know about ourselves in the church. He was trying to move the mark from uh, the religious teachings in, into science. So he, Darwin is, is perfectly fine in the, the world he's in right now that the new discoveries have overturned his theories. It's mainstream academia that is not okay with it. Right. Well, it just and, makes kind of everybody, we're standing on the shoulders of all the academics before us, and nobody wants to be wrong. Well, you know, I, I had a conversation with uh, a, a friend of mine who actually is only a friend until we have this conversation, <laughs> who is a, a professor um, in a very well-known university. And I asked him, I said, why can't you share this, this new material in the curriculum with, with your students? And he said, Greg, you don't understand. He said, first of all, if I shared this, the new, new discoveries, he said it would overturn my 40 years of teaching. He said it would invalidate everything I've done in the last 40 years. And I said, no, no, no. I said, you're a scientist, and science is designed to be constantly updated. We have to keep science honest if science is going to serve us. How can we possibly meet and, and thrive in the challenges that we find ourselves in today if we're not even honest with ourselves about what the science is telling us about our world? So he said, okay, he said, think about this. He said, think how much money it would take to change all the textbooks. And I said, you know what? <laughs> Your students aren't even using textbooks anymore. I said, you change it one place on a computer server, and all their digital copies are going to be changed. And he said, well, he said, then what about me? He says, I would have to go back and change 40 years of class notes, is what he said to mm -hmm. me. And I said, I said, that's what they're paying you to do, you know? Yeah. So, what a, what so a great this, reflection for him, though, the way well, that you it, languaged it. it. And, I appreciate that. He's not, he's not alone, because mm -hmm. this is the thinking for a lot. Sure. There's a story. There's a story out there uh, of who we are and where we've come from. And there are, and this isn't everyone. There are exceptions. But, but the majority of, of academia is fighting tooth and nail to hang on to this obsolete story. And, and I just want to tell you a little bit about why I wrote the book and why I think it's important, and then I want to get into the specifics about what the discoveries are showing us. Because this book is not written in a vacuum. So we're living in a world that is changing very, very quickly. Our lives are changing. Uh, I know everyone listening, their lives are changing. My life is changing. And the tools that we've been given uh, to solve our problems uh, are, are obsolete tools. And here's what I mean by that. For 150 years, when it comes to us, we've been taught that we are powerless uh, when it comes to our own bodies. We are powerless to influence uh, energetically the world around us. We're separate from the world. We've been taught that nature is based upon competition, conflict, scarcity, and struggle. And these ideas were introduced in late 1800s, precisely at the time when Western society was forming, Western economies were forming. 
So our corporations are based in these ideas. Our, our economy is based upon scarcity, competition, conflict, the way we solve our problems in our marriages, our families, uh, young people in school. We're, we're taught that we live in this dog-eat-dog -dog world, and we're seeing this play out on the global stage between nations right now. This is what's happening in America and North Korea. You know, we're seeing it in the Middle East. We're seeing it in North Africa. So we can't separate what we're talking about here from what's happening in the everyday world because every one of the things I just mentioned is a reflection of the way we've been taught to think about ourselves. And we say, who am I? As an individual, who are we? The things that I've just mentioned are at the foundation, consciously and subconsciously. This is how we've been taught to think about ourselves. So the world is changing, and we're applying these old ideas to new changes, and they're not working. So anything we do is a Band-Aid, from, from my perspective. It's a Band-Aid, even a well-intentioned Band-Aid, until we get to the root of the problem, and that root is the way that we think about ourselves, and that's why I think these new discoveries are so important. So w with that said, uh, can I share some, some of the discoveries? Are you okay if we talk you about You know what? Let's, let's uh, break for a song super quick, and we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to Awakening Code Radio.
Hi, this is Greg Braden, and you are listening to Awakening Code Radio. Thanks for joining us here on Awakening Code Radio with our very special guest, Greg Braden, who will be speaking on 11-11 at the Agape International Spiritual Center. And that's where I heard about this new book. And I once I picked it up, I bought it there, actually, at Agape. And I just love, love, love this book. I highly recommend it. It is getting to the moment we're at, talking about what are we really doing here, not only how did we get here and what's wrong with our story? But what are we really doing here on, our pl- on this planet? So, yes, let's, let's dive deep into it, Greg. Well, first, I'm going to begin with one of the, the questions that comes up um, in the live audiences. I've had the opportunity to tour this information now, mostly out of the United States. We've been touring internationally uh, for about six months now. And one of the questions that comes up, people say, well, what about that evolutionary family tree? You know, we see this, this tree with uh, modern humans at the top and all these other beings that are, we've been taught were our ancestors that lead to us. And the answer surprises a lot of people. But if you look closely at that tree, even if you go to the Smithsonian Institute or you look on uh, the History Channel or, you know, Discovery or National Geographic, if you look very closely, the lines that connect modern humans with the, the beings that we were told were our predecessors, so Neanderthal, for example, or, you know, Lucy or Australopithecus or, you know, any of these other forms of life, those lines are broken lines. They're not solid. And the legend actually tells us that these are inferred or speculative relationships. No physical evidence has been found to substantiate them. They're believed to exist, but the evidence simply hasn't been found. And what scientists say, my colleagues, say, we just haven't looked in the right place yet. You know, we've been looking for 150 years since Darwin introduced his theory in 1859. And we simply haven't, haven't found the physical evidence. So that, that has been known for quite a while, and that has been a, a big controversy. What's new, what has changed, and what led to me writing this book was the new discoveries of DNA. Uh, this is like CSI, forensic, you know, science that we're doing now. Uh, 1987. There was a, uh, the remains of a Neanderthal infant were found uh, deep under the earth in a cave in, uh, in northern Europe in a state of preservation that we've never seen before, never seen since, just a very rare state of preservation. And she was preserved so well that her DNA was intact. And the discovery was 1987, but the results of the study were not released until the year 2000. So look at how long it took mm. for, for the science and for the controversy to allow uh, the publication in the very prestigious journal Nature in the year 2000. And the bottom line, uh, we've been taught that Neanderthal uh, is our ancestor, that we have descended from Neanderthal. And what the DNA studies show very clearly is there is not enough shared DNA for us to have descended from them. Uh, many of us have DNA, uh, Neanderthal DNA, because we shared the earth with them. They say we interbred. We had Neanderthal boyfriends, Neanderthal girlfriends. I said that at a conference recently. There's a woman on the front row that said she still has a Neanderthal. <laughs> I was just <laughs> thinking that. My, my you know, husband was, always whole, says that about a, my girlfriend. <laughs> it's a whole different workshop going on there. <laughs> but, but this surprises a lot of people. So we, it, 
we shared the earth with them, we could not have descended from them. And so now we know who we are not. Right. And if, if any of our listeners, if you, when you were in school, if you were studying Neanderthal, you probably also uh, studied another, another form of life that was called Cro-Magnon at the time. And that term is no longer even used. It's been replaced with another term that is actually very self-explanatory. It's called, the acronym is AMH, Anatomically Modern Human. And what the science is showing is that anatomically modern humans appeared on Earth suddenly 200,000 years ago and have not changed from the time that they appeared. We are those anatomically modern humans. They are us. That's a, a bombshell. And crazy enough, you know, I, I'm enough, I read the Bible enough to know that there's this story of the Nephilim sky visitors, the angels that came and mated with the life of the, the female life forms on the planet at the time. And then on History Channel, you mentioned that ancient aliens and the Anunnaki sky visitors have tell this story of like genetic engineering. And I'm, you don't necessarily mention those things in your book, but it's like 200,000 years ago, we had Michael Tellinger, who's had that same number in his presentation, is like, are you... Are you, did you intentionally leave those things out of your book to let people or to not offend people or? No, it's not about offending people. It's about honoring my audience with the facts. No. And the facts as a scientist, all I can share is all that science can do is tell us what happened. Okay. Science cannot tell us why. Science cannot infer in, in terms of why something happened. And many people, I think we ask too much of science. Sometimes All it can do is give us the facts of what happened. And it was important for me, because of the controversy of this book, uh, to stick with the facts. And I, I do, and when I deviate from that in the book, I, I say that. I say, I'm, I am now deviating from science. This is my personal opinion. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll answer your question in just a minute. But what I, I want to do is, that was the first piece of DNA evidence. And that was in 2000, showing that, that we are not the descendants of the Neanderthals, but that the anatomically modern humans, we have the same DNA that they have, and, and they've been able to do this. They've been able to pull the DNA from the, the fossilized bone, or the bone marrow uh, of fossilized anatomically modern humans and compare it to ours, and it hasn't changed. So we have the, we have the characteristics. We showed up 200,000 years ago with a brain 50% larger than our nearest primate relatives and with so many genetic mutations that were so precise that happened at exactly the same time. Now, the, the hallmark of evolution is slow, gradual changes over long periods of time. Right. Or there was uh, some of the experts in the audience will know uh, there was another form of evolution called punctuated evolution, where there's like a big spurt of change and then nothing happens, and then the big spurt of right. change and nothing happens. Neither one of those fit for what we're finding in humans. <clears throat> and there are, are two places. Human chromosome number two is a very mysterious chromosome. It's the second largest one in, in our bodies. It's 8% of all the DNA in each of our cells. We now know it is the result of a fusion of pre-existing DNA. And, and I, uh, I'll be talking about this a little bit, but in non-scientific terms, but I'll show you the pictures when, when I'm at Agape. It's human chromosome two that gives us the neocortex uh, of our brain. This is the, the biggest part of our brain. It allows for empathy, sympathy, compassion, self-regulation of emotions. 
and, and many other things. At the same time that happened, human chromosome number seven, there were mutations that gave us the ability for complex speech, for our tongue and our jaw to work with our brain to create these things. And this, this was a big question. I'm a musician. I was a musician long before I was ever an author. And my question was, if we share 98%, of our DNA with a chimpanzee, how come a chimpanzee can't sing Stairway to Heaven? <laughs> no, I mean, well, Let's hope why, they why, can't. Yeah, well, why is it? I mean, they, and, and this is the reason why. They went uh, about 75 million years and have never had any of these mutations. Mm. Ours showed up all at once 200,000 years ago. And, and if they happen slowly, gradually, over long periods of time, you know, I could say something differently. But the, it's the precision of the mutations, number one. Uh, it's the timing of the mutations. And, and after human chromosome two, for example, after it was formed from the fusion of two other chromosomes, there was a very precise pruning uh, of uh, overlapping functions. So, you know, you take two complete anythings, you take two, two complete corporations and you merge them together, and they both have a human resources department, and you're going to have overlapping functions and human resources and somebody's going to get laid off or fired or they're going to merge positions and that's exactly what happened in our chromosome uh two there are portions that were removed uh, they were modified they were tweaked to streamline everything and that is something that you typically would not see through an evolutionary process so i'm i'm just sharing a couple of uh of the indicators here when we take the physical evidence that doesn't support the relationships, and then you take the DNA evidence and what it's showing us today, it says that evolution, while it is a fact for some forms of life, it's not supported. It does not support the, the, the theory of evolution, doesn't support the emergence of, of humankind. And you say, okay, well, what happened? As a scientist, I have to tell you, I don't know. But this is where my, uh, beginning in 1986, I began searching, you know, high mountain villages and monasteries and some of the most magnificent, isolated, remote places remaining in the world today to find out what these people knew that we've forgotten. And almost universally, I mean, everyone that I've been with, they have a story. The, the Hindus have their story, and the, um, the, the Hebrew traditions, they tell theirs. The Christian traditions, they tell theirs. The Hopi have a story. The Navajo have a story. The Inca have a story. The History Channel has a story. Science has had a story called evolution. And now... The DNA is giving us a new story, and what it says is while we do not know, I cannot say as a scientist, who, how, or what uh, created these mutations, I can say that they are uh, not the product of evolution as we have come to know it today, number one. Number two, what the scientists are saying is that the mutations are so precise that it appears that there is an intentionality underlying those uh, our genome. And this is where the second part of the book comes in. If there is an intentionality, it suggests that we are meant to embrace, to cultivate, to awaken this enormous potential that we have within us that has been dormant in most people and, and left to the mystics, the yogis, and the, you know, the, the healers, and the, and the monks, and the nuns. So we can do this stuff in our living room and wake up these Awesome, this awesome potential, and, and because we're not in a vacuum, we are igniting our greatest potential at a time when the world is going through these extremes. And the bottom line for me, the better we know ourselves as we embrace 
what these discoveries are showing. The better we know ourselves, the less we fear one another, the less we fear change, the less we fear the unknown. And fear is right at, at the root of all of the things, the social change, that we're seeing, the hate, the hate of sexuality, the hate of race, um, what's happening, you know, playing out in the national stage. These are people expressing the fears that stem from what we've been taught about ourselves. So as we embrace the new human story, my sense is that we begin to feel differently about ourselves, fear less, and that opens the door to, uh, to a new world and a new way of thinking and living. It all comes down to the way we, when we answer the question, who am I? It comes right down to that's the core. Yeah, and we've got this amazing one because, like you said, your book is kind of like two books. It, it addresses this evolutionary story, and I love the way you explained it. Like, you're not going to jump in and say it was the Anunnaki or it was the Bible story, the Nephilim, or any. We just know that there is an awareness of the evolutionary story, as we understand it, is not correct. Approximately 200,000 years ago, it appears that intentional genetic mutation had occurred. And why is that? And that's sort of, to me, because um, I want to be sure that we address this, mm-hmm. is what is the purpose of our existence now? And I love the way you told the story about going and meeting the abbot and and dropping into what why are we here i mean most people if you ask a christian it's like well this is this is almost like hell you know we're just biding our time here before we go to heaven and like that that doesn't feel right mm-hmm. there is a purpose for us rather than just being good consumers taxpayers employees there is a true genuine cosmic purpose for us to be in these earth suits right now not and, to sit on our couch and watch tv right and you and you address that as well so your book does two in my mind two incredibly major things and why it's so important but I, is it the right time to talk about that purpose well you know we can and and i'm just going to circle back about a half sentence here okay one of the reasons i think this is important and why i stayed i wanted to address a, a broad general audience a lay audience but i wanted to do it with rock-solid science, science isn't, isn't hard to understand. It's the technical language that makes it hard, but science is simple. We're, our world is simple. Nature is simple until we make it complex with, with language or with numbers. So I wanted to stick with that and make this very conversational. But what has happened, and I'm going to invite our listeners to think about this. 1859, Darwin introduced this theory, and it was embraced uh, as fact, and academia latched onto it. And what has happened for over 150 years now, every iota of evidence that has been found, whether it's fossilized evidence or, you know, the, the genetic evidence of the past, the effort has been made to force the new discoveries to fit into a pre-existing idea. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge difference between doing that and allowing the new evidence to lead to the new story that it's going to tell, whatever that story is. Mm-hmm. So we have an entire generation now of young. I'm in my mid-60s now. So we're talking to our generation as well as a newer generation. Young people in college, they want to solve the mystery of of human origins, and they're being forced to put their time and their energy and their focus and the years, precious years of their lives, into, into that study within the context of a story that no longer works. So this is an invitation to free ourselves from the shackles of this pre-existing idea 
uh, and allow trust. What are we afraid of? Not you and me and our audience, but academia. What are we afraid of? Trust that this story is going to lead us to something that will help us to become better people and create a better world. And I think that's important. So that's one of the reasons. Um, in another book, I could talk about some of the other theories. What I'll say is this. every indigenous. I, I have not visited every indigenous tradition on the earth, obviously. You've every visited a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there are. However, every indigenous tradition on the earth I have visited, mm. there is a common theme that runs through every one of their creation stories. And that theme is um, that we are the product of an intervention. Mm. And they all, it's, I, I, I believe it's one story that's interpreted through many different beliefs and many different traditions. Mm-hmm. But there are similarities when you go, and I, I do talk about some of those. The, the Mayan creation story uh, says it is they that created humans and that, hu- the, that it was hard to create a human to find the formula uh, for a physical body that could sustain the energy of a soul in this world. Mm-hmm. And that, that is a common theme. We find that in the, the Christian traditions that were edited from the Christian Bible in the 4th century. I don't talk about that in this book. I do in other books. But we know that over 43 books were actually deleted from the, the modern Christian canon. We know that because those books were rediscovered in the mid-1940s in two places. Uh, I know our listeners are familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are the oldest records of the Old Testament. But a lot of people are, are not familiar with the Nag Hammadi, N-A-G, and the second word, H-A-M-M-A-D-I, Nag Hammadi Library in Egypt, a little village in Egypt, where the oldest records of the New Testament were discovered. And lo and behold, in those New Testament books that were edited by the Emperor Constantine in the 4th century, at the early in the early years of the Catholic Church. Uh, in those books, we find uh, the, the information that tells us how, actually how to use the capacities of the human body. Mm-hmm. How, uh, for healing, for example, we, we find that in a book that is called The Gospel of Thomas. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not science, and it parallels what much of the science is saying, but one of the, the common themes... Uh, even in the Hebrew traditions, where there were also books that were edited and were only found later in the 20th century, is this story that it took multiple iterations, multiple tries to create a, a physical body in this world that could sustain the power of the soul and, and function. And the, there are scientists that believe now that when we're looking at an evolutionary family tree, what we're seeing is examples of some of those attempts. So we're seeing forms of life that simply could not sustain the power of a human soul that, that died out, uh, but they we did not descend from them. And I think that's, that's the key. And one of the places where science does agree, you just mentioned this, even Michael Tellinger, uh, I don't know him personally, but we work through some of the same production companies and um, same editors and things like that. That 200,000-year mark is pretty well accepted in mainstream science. They, they say, you're right, something happened 200,000 years ago. The controversy is regarding uh, what that something what was. What that something was. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I have the Nag Hammadi Codex. I have that book, and I, I refer to the Gospel of Thomas quite a bit because it doesn't have the miraculous birth story. It doesn't have the dying on the cross resurrection story. It just has Jesus as this like metaphysical mysticist uh, Gnostic, and he 
one of the most telling things that I just, I mention this all the time, is disciples are getting ready to go out and say, who do we tell people you are or what you represent? And he says, tell them I am motion and rest. And I'm like, that almost sounds sciencey. You know, you're talking about the forces of creation. You think of the way a jellyfish swims or pulse or anything, and it just sounds like he's almost dropping these little science bombs in the midst of, you know, 2,000-year-ago mentality. Sure. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, if, and I was just with uh, I was uh, my dear friend, spiritual brother and colleague, Dr. Bruce Lipton. I know you've, you've probably worked with Bruce in the past. He and I, he wrote the book, The Biology of Belief. And yes. He and I were just, just on tour in Europe. We had uh, a beautiful program with uh, a huge Italian audience, and we were having... And one of this, one of our listeners posted pictures of you and her and him. <laughs> yeah, it was well, it, it was great, beautiful, beautiful, and people came from all over the world. Yes, they, they typically do, and we were having having this conversation, and uh, you know, people just appreciate um, the opportunity to even acknowledge that there is another story because the story we're being told right now it's not serving us. Yeah. It's not serving us when it comes to solving our problems, and that's for me, you know, that that is the key. So w- when we um, when we look at what this story is telling us, it opens the door to uh, to many possibilities. And you know, some people are more drawn to certain parts of the book than others, and you know, I certainly expect that. But the the key here is to embrace the best science of the modern world uh, and what it is saying, and it does parallel some of our most ancient and cherished spiritual traditions. Uh, and uh, and let's let's see where that leads. You know, let's let's see what the the new story is. And I'm not even saying, you know, somebody just I had a teacher ask me this: Are you saying throw out the story of evolution? Absolutely not. I, I think we owe it to our young people to be honest with them. Share both stories. Say this is what has been taught for 150 years. Give them Darwin's ideas. Uh, let them see where it applies. And say that here here is the new science, and these are the new discoveries. And where I think that is important is you look at a young person in the eye and you say, we don't know the answer. And that's hard for a scientist and it's hard for uh, academics to do. They don't like to do that. Right. But if you say, we don't know where we came from with certainty, that lights it up for a young person yes. because their whole life is ahead of them. And they say, maybe I'm the one right. that, I'm the one that can figure this out. You want? I've seen this happen. I did it with second graders. We've offered... Um, uh, there are other stories that are unfolding uh, as well. The story of human civilization, for example. We were taught civilization began about 5,000 years ago. The evidence no longer supports that. The evidence now is pushing civilization, advanced technological civilizations, back into the Ice Age around 13,000 years ago, over twice what we've been taught. But they're not teaching that in the schools. Right. So it, very progressive schools have invited me to come in with young people, and, and we use a whole different language. I mean, we keep it really simple. Uh, we, take, we take white butcher paper, and we build a screen that's the size of the whole wall in the classroom from the floor to the ceiling and show these images of, you know, the pyramids or the sphinx or whatever it is that are life-size to a, a second grader. And we say to them, we don't know the answer. We don't know who built these with certainty we, because we don't. And we right. don't know for certain where we came from. And, man, I'll tell you, their eyes light up, and they say, that's what I'm going to do when I grow up. I've, I've, I've seen that happen. I love who, that. Who doesn't love a good mystery? Let's take a break for a, a song right here, and we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to Awakening Code Radio.
This is Deepak Chopra and you're listening to Awakening Code Radio. We're back, and thank you for joining us. And we are here with our very special guest, Greg Braden, who has written this beautiful book, Human by Design. And, Greg, I know we've only got about 15 minutes uh, left on our clock, and I want to be sure that we have a chance to talk about what hit me the hardest in the book as I read through it, because it gives us a sense of purpose and empowerment of why we're here now, that we really do matter. And you told this beautiful story of you revisiting a uh, monastery, I believe it was in Tibet, where the abbot, previous abbot, had passed away, but they knew you and they liked you and they embraced you, and the new abbot uh, was eager to talk with you, and you presented him with a question, and um, it's a beautiful story with a little bit of humor in it, but it dropped me into a a deep-feeling place of what are we doing here on this planet right now as the species. Was that the question of when you are praying, what's happening on the inside? It It was the question of, like, is... Is there a force like Chi or okay. like Star Wars, the force? Is there something that the universe is using yeah. um, to connect everything? And he answered, there is. It's like there was this dialogue going between the translator and the abbot. And in yep. the end, there was just this one-word response that I, left you I, kind of scratching your head. I know that, that story. I, I, there were a couple of stories in the book, and that was why I wanted to make sure I was honoring you with the right one. That, I, it was in the 1990s. Uh, Tibet was accessible to me, uh, to take groups. Uh, that window has closed. It's no longer accessible. It's, it's hard to get a visa uh, now uh, for even individuals and, and for groups. And if you do get the visa, you can't go into the places where, you know, where we went back in the 90s. So uh, that was a, a journey that I took when I was writing the book, The Divine Matrix. And the Divine Matrix is, is a book uh, similar to this new book in the sense it is about the science that tells us there's a field of energy that connects all things, uh, and that now is accepted in mainstream science. When I wrote this book and released it in 08, it was ridiculed. Uh, however, the science is peer-reviewed science, and that book, Divine Matrix, actually is now a, a textbook in college classrooms in some universities here in the States and also in Canada. Awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's a, one of those places where the common thinking uh, of the everyday person preceded the, the science that accepted the fact that that field is there. Mm-hmm. We were we were talking about, and said, of course, everything's connected, but science wasn't there yet, and, and they are now. So I was in uh, on one of these journeys into Tibet, and I was talking, we've been given an audience, a private audience with the abbot, and I was asking him while I was researching the book, I said, in your tradition, what is... Uh, what is the force that connects all things? And we were doing this through the translator. And the reason it was difficult, because the abbot didn't have any way of knowing my background or what I knew or didn't know, and he was accustomed to answering that question for his students that had had, had the, the opportunity to learn all of the foundation that would make sense of the answer. So he didn't know how to answer me. So it was, they were back and forth, back and forth, and he came back, and it was a single word. I said, what is the force that connects all things in the universe? And he said, compassion. And then I asked him, I said, well, are you telling me that compassion is a force of nature, or is compassion uh, an experience that we have 
was in. And he and the translator went back and forth and back and forth, and he came back, and his answer was yes. Mm -hmm. So what he was telling me was that within us, we have the, the potential, we have the ability to awaken within us as a very force that, that connects the stuff this universe is made of, and that is the core of their teaching, of course. This is Tibetan Buddhism, which is a little bit different than uh, the traditional Buddhism that you would see in India, for example. Uh, but the, the core is the, the science of compassion. I just and love that story. Yeah. So Fans. that was page one fifty one. I went right to it first thing. <laughs> well, I, I included that in that became a part of the book, The Divine Matrix, because because the next part of what I was asking him, and this is what I was asking you about this question. I said, when we see your prayers on the outside, you know, we see the the bells and the bowls and the gongs and the chimes and the mantras and the mudras and the incense. You know, we're all accustomed to that, the, the, the tantric chanting, you know, all, all those things. I said, when we see that on the outside, what's happening to you on the inside? And this was very powerful for me because he said, he came back through our translator, he said, he said, you've never seen our prayers because a prayer cannot be seen. He said, what you see are the things that we do to create the feeling in our body, and the, mm. the feeling is the prayer. Mm. And, and then, he, then he turned and asked me, he says, how do you do this in your culture? And I, I realized in that moment, we have been led to believe that the words are the prayers. If we say the right words, you know, at the right time of year, the right time of day, uh, that somehow we've said a prayer, when really the words are designed to be the code that lights up uh, an emotional experience within us, and our power is in the feeling and the emotion. Mm -hmm. So when people say the words and nothing happens, they become jaded, sometimes uh, disappointed, they say, well, prayer doesn't work anymore. And even though they're well-intentioned, they've only said a part of the prayer because the feeling component is what was edited out. The, the words that tell us that were edited out by the Church in the 4th century, and, and we find those words in text, including Gospel of Thomas. And one, I just have to tell you this really quickly. One of the things you were talking about, the Gnostics, when Bruce Lipton and I were touring Australia, uh, it was during the Iraq War. And one of the last remaining sects of the Gnostics uh, are called the Mandaeans. And they happen to be in southern Iraq, right where the war was happening. And they were uh, either killed or the ones that weren't killed, uh, exiled. And they fled to Australia because of the huge expanse of land and the safety that was there. And while Bruce and I were there one afternoon, uh, one of the Mandaean leaders came to us uh, at the... A convention center, and he brought a, a scroll with him that he gifted to us, uh, and the scroll tells the story of human creation that parallels everything that we've talked about here, that that when it, the, the text says when they created, it wasn't a, a single being, mm -hmm. but it was multiple beings coming together, and it took multiple inter iterations uh, of uh, attempts to create just the right formula of the body um, that could could sustain the soul in this world. And the Mayan traditions say the same thing. They, they, the Mayans go through the different elements that were used to create the human body. And it was only when they got to what they called the mud, so the elements of the earth married with the spirit, that, that they found the formula that worked. They tried other things that didn't work. Right. So, and, and, and ultimately, what I had just 
I had been to Mount Shasta with uh, Michelle about two months ago and then Burning Man and had some opening experiences. And I came home and with uh, on one particular night, I can remember it, I actually recorded myself. And said, and it just came to me in the same way you're, in your book did, that we are here to feel like we are the universe's tool, the feedback device to feedback feeling into the matrix of Otherwise, it's more or less just like growth for growth sakes or creation, create a star, create a planet, create an animal, whatever. But it's the feeling that keeps it all in motion. It feels for itself. It's the word compassion. And that's what we're here to do. We are here to experience all the feelings to feed into the divine matrix of life. And that makes us all so much more relevant and powerful and and, you know, I, there's so much meaning behind our existence than what many people believe. Greg, you make, you make, me, you make me see myself in a, in a new way. And I used to feel guilty every time I cried when I would read someone's prayer. And I, I always felt like I didn't write prayers as beautifully as other people. But when I could read someone's prayer and connect with the words that they put on that piece of paper, I always cry. And some people have made fun of me because I'm a crier, but I feel like that's the power of my prayer is being in that full purity of that connected essence with all that is, all life, and be able to read a prayer with feeling. And you gave me that piece to help me understand what my role is. Yeah. Well, Michelle, of course, I had no way of knowing that, but it tells me that you and I did our work really well together oh, <laughs> without, without being in the same room. Yeah, I quote a, you all the time. Yeah, it's, a co- the time. it's a co-creation process. And before we go, I just am going to drop a thing. Um, Ray Bradbury is one of my favorite authors. I got to meet him and interview him years and years ago. Mm. Asked him, why are we here? And he said, we are here to witness and celebrate. But of all things, on page 111, uh, you quite quote Ray Bradbury. And I just love it because we're all about the ones here at uh, Awakening Code Radio. But he says, we are the miracle of force and matter making itself over into imagination and will. Incredible. The life force experimenting with forms. You for one, me for another. The universe has shouted itself alive. We are one of the shouts. Mm. I love I, I that. I love that, too. That was... Did you put that on 111 on purpose? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, um, I was editing the book, and uh, this is how the universe works. I was editing the book. I took a break. I picked up another book and was reading it, and that quote was in the other book, and I said, that's got to be, I, I have to share that with my, mm. with my reader. So. Yeah. It's powerful. He was such a gentle man with a, an expanded vision. And when he, I had this opportunity about five minutes, I said, you know, Ray, why are we here? And he just, he took off his glasses and he looked down at, looked at me and he just says, we're here to witness and celebrate. And I have remembered that. That was 20 years ago. And I keep that in my heart that we're not here to judge. We're not here to, you know, any of that. We are here to just be in awe of what is happening and celebrate it and participate in what you shared, his quote, is we are here, we are part of that divine matrix, an mm-hmm. expression of it. Well, I, I, may I quote you on that? <laughs> you could quote Ray, Ray Bradbury through me because he only said it to me. I felt very special. I felt like I got a unique gift from Ray Bradbury. Yeah. For sure. Well, well yeah, I know now, now, how, how many people get to say they, they had a personal conversation with him. I yes. Mean, that's, that is awesome. Yeah. And I want to share another little universal wink that happened this, today. Um, when I was driving in 
I just wanted to listen to one of your YouTubes. And I don't know if this is your YouTube um, station that you posted. It said November 7th, 2017. And it was an old um, workshop that you had done about the Essenes and um, mirroring, what they mirror, what we mirror for each other. You were talking about the mirror of judgment. You told some great stories. And in that story, you told of the meeting of our mutual friend, the owner of the Integratron, Joanne Carl, and how she shares your exact birthday. Mm. And that story, I'll be using that now. I, I've already sent your YouTube to five people. <laughs> and we're, and well, Michelle- thank, thank you for that. It's, I have to tell you, uh, that, I think what you're seeing, it's a bootlegged uh, YouTube, which, which is fine. I just have, I have no control over the quality or, you know, the content. Mm. Uh, and it was done in 1996, mm. is the one I'm thinking of. So it's, it's not current. And it oh, is, no, I knew it wasn't current. That's yeah, crazy, still, though, that today, because Joanne, uh, Michelle and I are both uh, out at the Integratron all the time. I conduct lectures there called Sonic Geometry. Dear friends of Joanne Carl, I know she's a dear friend of yours. And it was just so amazing that Michelle came in and goes, of all things, the, the the video that's 22 years old now. How did I land on that? How did I land on that? And it said November 7th, 2017. I said, yeah. that's not him now. I know what he looks like now. That's him, yeah. you know, back in the 90s or something. Yeah. But yeah, some, Somebody post that. When you see Joanna, give her my love, please. We, we, we will, for sure. I, I'll be back there December 2nd, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's right around the corner. Yes, yeah. I, I will do that for sure. So, well, we're getting close. I know we want to honor your time schedule. We know that you're talking to lots of different media outlets today. We appreciate you so much, the work that you're doing, the message you're sharing. I love that the science, because I, I've followed you for years, and I know that you've said science shows us and science suggests and all these things without, you know, now science is more or less caught up in many ways. You have all these peer-reviewed papers and documents and studies that truly support the things you've been talking about for the last three or four decades. I don't know how long it's been, but thank you for doing the work that you're doing and and look forward to seeing you soon. You're very welcome. I think science has become the contemporary language of spirituality is is what's happening right now. And this this is my 30, going on my 33rd year of doing this work in one form or another. So thank you for having me back. I look forward to our our next time. Yes. Thank you so much. We're going to let you go. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, take care. Thanks again. So we'll hang up the phone with Craig and, you know, just reflect a little bit of what he has done. Yeah, we have uh, some things to talk about, but um, that was, now what what are you showing me? There's a prayer I want to read today that our our, our Hashiman spiritual elder Adelia Sandoval gave to me that, you know, reflects what we were talking about. When she read me this prayer, I started crying. I said, I have to have that prayer. And I'm going to read it um, on our dolphin boat when we go on the on the 12th this weekend. This yeah. weekend. This weekend. This we've got weekend. the 1111 Star Knowledge Conference. You're speaking on Friday. I'm speaking, I'm speaking Friday on at Saturday. 5. Heather and Jason are speaking Friday at 4. Nice. You're speaking twice. You yeah. are going to be at 5 p.m. for your workshop on Saturday. And at 7 p.m. as our keynote speaker on Yay. Saturday night. We have Laura Eisenhower as the keynote speaker on Friday night. I'm ex- very excited to share both things. You know, a lot of it is the sonic geometry information, but the workshop is the geometry of the universe, which um, now, you know, as I've been flowing into the sonic geometry information, it is all feminine. We've been talking about this movement of the divine feminine, awakening the divine feminine. It's We've had so many speakers and guests here talk about it's the feminine aspect that is going to save us. And all along, the most um, elementary geometric form, all you have to do is curve the line, meaning making them feminine from the straight, 
And we have a much more elegant model of the universe. And it looks like sacred geometry. It looks like flowers. It looks like seed pod. It looks organic. So that's the workshop. And then sonic geometry is all about the harmonics of, of geometry and how this information seems to have been set out like little breadcrumbs along our at least the last 6,000 years, ever since we've had a written language, there has been little hints along the way. I think you call them keys and codes mm -hmm. that now we can kind of assemble. I like assemble. the breadcrumb thing, though, because yeah. I, feel, I feel that. They yeah. are little breadcrumbs, little cookie droppings. You know, you can kind of picture yourself going to, um, what was that, Little Red Riding Hood, leaving yes. those little cookie crumbs yeah. and... They are markers. Somebody left them yeah. for us. And I, just like Greg Braden is talking about, some an intelligence that we don't fully understand has been way more involved in our story than we have been taught to believe. And if that taught to, that that lesson that we know is kind of fear-based. It's the old paradigm. If there is a word, it's not necessarily fear. It's a new word for me. It's separateness. Mm -hmm. The old paradigm is we are separate from everything. And that kind of falls into the Darwinian aspect of survival of the fittest means it's okay. It's the most brute force. It's the most aggressive. That's the one who wins. And now in this new paradigm where we think of connectedness instead of separateness, it's a whole new story. It is a whole new story that we are learning. And that's, I love the name of our show, Awakening Code Radio, because we are awakening to probably what is the truth of our story, yet because we felt separate from, from the universe, from each other, that's how we can kill each other. We can lob bombs and everything else. And you, you're bringing up something that ties in. You know what I wanted to talk about when yeah. we came on the show. And we, we had Greg specifically on the phone for that amount of time. Right. And I really wanted to address the tragedy that happened in Texas because, it, you know, we're seeing more and more of these yeah. chaotic episodes that are happening that yeah. make us feel really separate. Yeah, Las Vegas was only a month ago or less. Uh, it was October 1st. Okay. It was October 1st. Um, All right. And so the tragedy that happened in Texas, it really hit close to home. I called you yesterday, Eric, bawling my eyes out, and I said, this is one of our people. She's actually been to Star Knowledge Conferences. She's part of all my, you know, sisterhood groups that I belong been with. Been to the Integratron. Been to the Integratron, been on the Dolphin Boat. Joe Cheryl Hokum is one of our dear friends. She is a precious soul who always consistently since i've known her as has modeled love and compassion kindness service selfless service and i learned on facebook yesterday that it was 10 members of her family that were in that church and they were shot and killed 10 members killed and oh i spent two hours with her on the phone last night and it was just so beautiful for her to be able to share with me the stories of her brother, Brian, who was shot and killed. He was giving a, a pastoral address, filling in for the pastor of their church, small town in Texas. And he was killed. His wife was killed. Um, one of their sons and his wife, um, the, the wife was holding their 18-month-old daughter. She witnessed it. She didn't, she didn't die. But um, her brother's son was shot, and he lived, but he witnessed his eight-month pregnant wife be shot and killed, and three of their five children were shot and killed. This was, this was a tragedy that it's incomprehensible, and yet 
Joe Cheryl, when I spoke with her last night, had held so much compassion for everybody. You know, yeah. and she's she's numb. We do have a gun GoFundMe going for her because she knows she's the whole family's going to need counseling sure. and therapy. You know, and she's really feeling it. So I'm I'm encouraging any of our listeners to go on our Awakening Code page. We're I'm asking Colleen, our amazing admin, who's always on it before we even ask, if she can post that GoFundMe page for Joe Cheryl Holcomb. And if you if you feel it in your heart to donate even a little bit, this will help her into the future. Her and her daughter Amber will um, will be traveling there, so they need travel money. There's a lot of there's a lot of statistics, but I wanted to put that out there. For and sure, it, and you know what? I, and can I read? I, I would like to read what she wrote today because this okay, is a, yeah. a person who's had her brother killed, many members of her family. I mean, virtually half of all people killed in that church. And if you even knew her life story about her Lyme's disease and. She applied the principle Greg pra- Greg Braden was talking about in the Gospel of Thomas. She has healed herself with without using you know a lot of pharmaceuticals because she talks to the cells in her body, and she healed. Her and her daughter both had really bad case of Lyme's disease. Yeah. So here's a person who's had uh, much of her family wiped out in a most brutal way you can possibly imagine, and this is two days later. She goes today. Somehow, I felt peace wash over me, and my heart still feels light. I feel sad now and then, but mostly I feel love, and it lifted me. The world is getting to witness the life of a precious, sweet family who lived love every day, and that has to matter. One messed up person compared to millions of loving people, friends, and strangers. The equation is totally tipped on love. The outcome of any negative event can always morph into something awesome. We may be surprised. Thank you, everyone, for your abiding friendship. I know, and Eric's starting to cry. He he cries, and then I cry because when I talked to her last night, she just she just was this beacon of love, even though she was hurting. She just sees love in everything, and she she said to me, Michelle, you know what is it in me that feels I don't deserve all this love that is pouring out? She has a hard time. She would never ask for money. Yeah. Never. She's she's just so humble and she she lives very frugally and very simply because she is on disability because of the Lyme's disease. And she um she said, "Why is it that I feel like it's hard for her to receive?" And I said, Dang it, Joe Cheryl, you are the one person that deserves this more than anybody I know because yeah. of how loving she is right. and she's she's trying to make sense of it all herself but she's in a very beautiful and compassionate well, she's place. made the ultimate sense she's yeah. made the universal life force god message sense out of what has happened is love prevails yep. one person one injured damaged person guy in vegas guy here in texas something is broken in them they are must be extremely hurt and feeling so separate yep separate enough that they could kill other human beings and children and women and everybody. And she still held this vibration of love, knowing love is never the wrong answer. You know, there's a beautiful quote in, in the, not the Gospel of Thomas, but in the Gospels where Jesus says, you know, he's, the, his disciples are challenging him. How often do we forgive somebody? You know, they, they, he's preaching forgiveness. He's like, okay, we get it. Yeah, the right answer is forgiveness. But how many times do we give somebody, you know, forgive somebody that's wronged us? And he goes, if you're asking how many times, you aren't getting it yet. The right answer does not ever start being the iffy answer or the wishy-washy answer or the conditional answer or certainly not the wrong answer. 
if the right answer is love, it is always the right answer. Yeah. And you bring that up and she's living the right answer. She she models, she walks her talk and she models it beautifully. She she's not a real um she's not out there in your face. She's very quietly walking her path but always doing it yeah. from the space of radiant love and my heart my heart goes out to her and her family. Yeah, absolutely. Joe Sherwell with you. We're going to take a quick break for a song. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Awakening Code Radio.
Hello, this is Michael Tillinger from South Africa, founder of the Ubuntu Movement, and you're listening to Awakening Code Radio. finishing we're down to about our last 20 minutes here and um we always want to remind people it's very easy to find us our show we have over 300 episodes uh on itunes a whole library you can also find us at the station here but itunes is the best way to find us you can download an app just uh, on your if you have an iphone it's super easy there's a magic purple button that says um podcasts click that search awakening code radio um, subscribe, and there you have access to the whole library. Google search Awakening Code Radio, Facebook, you know, search Awakening Code Radio. Stay connected to our family because our conversation is always about raising the vibration in one way or another. We're not going to go down dark alleys. We're not going to bury our heads in the sand either, but we are going to keep our eyes on the prize of living compassionately, which is, according to Greg Braden in this Tibetan monkey met, monk that he met. The one word. The one word is mm-hmm. compassion. That if you can connect and not feel separate and feel connected, what is going to move through you is compassion. Mm-hmm. And from that, love, kindness, consideration, forgiveness, non-judgment, Acceptance, all those. Yes. yes. It's compassion. You care for the, everything. You care for the planet. You care for the animals. You care for the people. You care for the great beyond and unknown. It's just that you care and you understand your significance in the entire system of things. Um, I thought that was just a beautiful part of his book. Or is there any part of his book that, that you read um, that we didn't address while he was on the air that you just want to? Well, that's the funny part. I didn't, I, it was hard to say, I didn't read your whole book. You know, like I skipped over the whole oh. front of the science part. You gave it to me, Eric. I opened it to the middle. And um, is that... Your point, is, you're pointing at some. What page is this that? Is, this is one... 151? No, 135. But it says, you made a note to yourself, like, I want to read this. One. This is, this is the part in the book, oh, yeah, that science can't measure the capacity to love. Oh. And that's what I said in the very beginning. That was the first part I, I opened to, was science can't measure the capacity to love. And then he... He says one of the reasons science is incapable of providing this answer is because scientific information is based upon events that are either observed in nature or duplicated in the laboratory to prove a theory. And he talked about that. Mm-hmm. He addressed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he did. He talked about he talked about everything I wanted him to talk about. It was beautiful. But I like the way he lays the book out. He's got these keys in, in shaded gray in the bottom of the, yeah. the pages. And it says key 25. Our capacity for deep intuition, sympathy, which we're showing right now for Joe Sherrill, empathy, sympathy and empathy, compassion, and the self-healing that allows us to live long enough to share these capacities are the needle of a compass that points us directly to our life purpose. To me, I was like, wow. Done. I hit the jackpot. (laughs) I don't need to read the book. It's right here. I mean, I really felt that way. Yeah. And those keys that are in gray, I think there's 46 of them out throughout the book. And in the end, he has them all listed in order. So you can just go to the back of the book and he says, listen, if you just work your way through these, what he calls keys. And I love that you constantly say keys and codes. codes, And he has these as keys down. And he says, if you can make peace with this, the very first one, we don't understand our story. Just just right out of the box, you have to be willing to say, no matter that you learned it in high school, in college, or believe it, 
the story as we know it of evolution and the way Darwinian thinking explains it is not correct. And from there, you're in a whole new territory. You've just stepped out of the box and said, now what? And he gives you 45 other keys to march you through this process of if that, if not that, then what? And then if not that, then what? And then what might this mean? And it keeps expanding just like the universe and just like we're always being invited to keep expanding. That's why we always call it our soul's evolutionary journey because we're learning every day. And once when we're open to learning, everything falls into place. We're magnetizing our teachers to us. And Greg talked about that in that YouTube video with his long hair mm. in, 19, in the 1990s, right? He was, he was talking about, you know, these Essene mirrors and how we draw people to us as a mirror. And when these people were drawn to him, there were three people drawn to him at the same time. And he was thinking, why did I draw these people to me? And that mirror that he was working on was the mirror of judgment because he had such a judgment about honesty, integrity, and, and I forget what the third one was. It was like... Um, I don't even know what the third one was. I know it was honesty and integrity were the two main ones. But he had aligned with some business partner and he came home from a business trip and went to take money out of an ATM and the, he had no money in his account. He said, I knew there was money there because he had just gotten a loan for construction on his property in northern New Mexico and there was no money there. And then come to find out there were, I think he said 71 checks written that had all bounced and had $30 charges on each mm. one of them because somebody ripped him off and he didn't name the person or anything. It was telling a story to tell us about judgment. And the person that he had met, this business person, when he met him, he said, what's your birthday? And the person said, my birthday is April. No, June oh. 28th, 19, whatever his year is, 56, I think it is. Um, and he said, or June 28th, I think it's June 28th. And I knew that that was our friend Joanne's birthday, that Joanne and Greg Braden were born not just on the same day, but the same year as well. They, were, they came into the earth at the, almost the exact same time. And so here he's meeting this business partner who's a man. I, I'm like, wow, what are the odds of that? You're meeting somebody that was born on the same day as you mm -hmm. in the same year. And he said the man said to him when he first met him, yeah, I'm your evil twin. And Greg... He had a weird feeling about it, but he said he applied logic because, oh, the guy must be like me. You know, he's going to think like me. We're going to, you know, he'll he'll do my business stuff and then I can focus on the other stuff that I'm good at. And so he trusted him. And then this thing happened and he he realized that his intuition was telling him when he felt the feeling mm -hmm. And he said that he's uh, got five, can five planets in Cancer, which I loved because Eric doesn't usually do astrology. <laughs> and I was like, oh, look at that. Greg Braden's into astrology. I love it. So he said that he's a feeler. And, you know, I have a Cancer moon. So I'm a feeler, too. And I felt r real resonance with him. And then he said he got a phone call from a woman that said that she wanted to sponsor him and schedule workshops for him and, and help him. And he didn't know her. She called him just out of the blue and said this. And then he said, what's your birthday? And her birthday was the same exact day. And I thought, wow, are there three people that he knew? <laughs> and then he said her name, Joanne Carl. And at the time, she had another last name, too. And I start crying. I'm like, that's my Joanne. I was at a red light texting you and Joanne at the same time. <laughs> what are the odds of this? Well, you know, the connect the dots. Once you're in a certain flow, 
the dots are connected. And that comes from expansiveness as well, as we remind all of our listeners. Yeah, people look at my life a lot of times, and they, they, it just feels to them like, how do these miracles, how do these synchronicities, how do these coincidences just all keep coming to you? It is expansiveness. It is opening your field of vision wider and wider and wider. These things are trying to happen for everybody. In the, in the realm of infinite possibility, these connections, these people that you would draw to yourself, you are drawing them to you, but if your radar isn't open, if you aren't open to the miracle of, of life and, and creation, you don't see them. That's the only difference. They're, it's not that they're not there. You just don't see them. Mm -hmm. There was another quote in here that I wanted to share because I always align myself. One was with Ray Bradbury, the author, is, and then Einstein, as you know, is a huge hero of mine. There was a good Carl Sagan quote in there, too, that I wrote down. Oh, I, you'll have to read that, but let me read Einstein's quote because it talks about compassion. So here's Einstein, probably the most famous scientist in history, you know, talking about the, the universe, and Albert Einstein recognized the power of compassion in our lives as well as the potential it holds to alleviate suffering. In his words, our task must be to free ourselves by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. So, you know, he's here's Einstein saying And this. our vegan friend says, and, and you still want to eat meat after you read that? Because <laughs> Einstein go. was a vegetarian at least. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he was vegan, but he was, you know, a non-animal eater. So See? there you have it. There you have it. So you have a, something you want to read. Did you want to read the quote well, from Well, I wrote down the quote Carl from Sagan? Carl Sagan, which was... For small creatures such as we, the vastness is bearable only through love. Mm. That really, so you, you got you the go. compassion quote and I got the love quote. There I you go. It. Well, yes, I did want to read a prayer. Sure. And, um, Let's take a, a quick break for a okay. song. One last song. You've listened to Awakening Code Radio. We'll be right back.
I'm Marianne Williamson, and you're listening to Awakening Code Radio. And we're here in our final few minutes, and we're, this is a prayer that you're talking about that you're going to read at the Star Knowledge Conference I coming think, up? I, I don't know if I'll read it. I, I don't know when I'm going to read it, but it was given to me by our dear Ahashiman elder, Adelia Sandoval, who will be doing the opening prayer at the 1111 Star Knowledge, 9 a.m. on Friday. You want to say something, Aaron? No, I was thinking I could mix some mu- some pretty oh, music okay. behind I'll it. I'll give so. the background story. Yeah. So I called her to get the schedule down, and we're talking about all the events happening in the world. And um, I told her what was happening with the nuclear plant, that we're having a rally in Laguna Beach on November 18th, which is a week from Saturday. So we'll be doing the rally, a prayer formance with Larissa Stowe um, on Main Beach 1 to 4 on November 18th, that's Saturday. What we want to do is bring awareness to the situation here that Southern California Edison wants to bury this 1.6 million pounds of nuclear waste 108 feet from our ocean. And we don't think that's a good idea. Not in the proposed cast that they, they're saying they're going to bury it in. And they're all ready to go. They've already bought them and everything. So when I was talking with her, you know, we're both crying about some of the things that we're seeing, these atrocities that we're seeing. But how important it is that we honor our the earth. And we were talking about, we both feel it's such a gift that we, we feel we came from the stars and, and that we feel so honored and privileged to be here on this beautiful planet we call earth. And she said, oh, Michelle, Michelle, I want to read you one of my prayers I wrote back in 2008. So well, she, well, hold on. Uh-huh. Are we ready to start the music? So she, she read it to me. And oh, here we are. And here we are. And the the track that I picked, I don't know exactly what it sounds like, but it's the title of this track is called Ancestral Star Chart. Perfect. How about that? So let yeah. me see. Let me make sure that this starts. And we can hear it. Uh, it's not it, heavy metal, no, right? It is, it is not. In fact, it's so it's celestial. Not yeah, it might be. Oh. There oh, goes Eric. There it is. Oh. My connection to my phone, so this is playing through my iPhone is often a little jinky here. But yeah, let's go ahead and drop into this and let you uh, do this meditation. So the prayer by Adelia Sandoval is called, Be Gentle With Us, O Mother Earth. O Mother Earth, our precious home, we thank you and honor you this day. We know that you are a living and vibrant being. We feel the life that is within you, and we see the life that comes forth from you. Be gentle with us, O Mother Earth. We feel the wind that swirls from your canyons teaching us with its music. We quench our thirst from the sweet water that pours forth from your mountains and streams. We dance in the warmth of the sun that dances with you each day. Be gentle with us, O Mother Earth. We touch your skin and cherish it, knowing the elements that make you also make us. We know that you move and change daily. You stretch and shift, seeking your own inner balance. Be gentle with us, O Mother Earth. We are aware that you have your ways. We know your power, and we are in awe of it. Your beauty overwhelms us. Be gentle with us, O Mother Earth. We ask this day. Amen. 
Aho. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And the reason why she she we were talking about that we were talking about psychics who predict who predict big earthquakes and we talked about the the disasters we're seeing like in Puerto Rico and with the hurricanes and all these natural disasters or people call them natural disasters. Um, one of the things that I use as a tool is when somebody says there's gonna be a big earthquake and they give me a number to it and they'll say. I had this dream and I saw there was going to be an earthquake right here and it's going to be X number and it's usually upwards of eight or nine, which could be catastrophic. I told her what I see is I see that our mother earth needs to shift and sway like a sensuous body and I visualize and feel her moving her hips gracefully and sensually and I just see the number 2.2 in my head. And as a way, that's my way of communicating with her and honoring the fact that, yes, we need to shift with all these 8 million people on, on, upon her belly, you know? Seven, 7 billion. Okay, 7 billion. I'm sorry, did I say million? Millions. I meant billion. <laughs> 7 point something billion yes. people upon yes. her. And, and yes, we, we know that sh- those things ha- need to happen. They, she needs to let off some steam when a volcano erupts, but it doesn't have to be as tragic as everybody predicts if we don't put our energy and attention on it. Put our energy and attention on what we want to see. Just like on my birthday, I did not want to see rain at Cook's, Cook's <laughs> Corner where I wanted to dance under the old oak trees, and I show up, and I'm like, why is the band not outside? I want to dance to the band outside, and the, the bartender says, oh, it's because we thought it was going to rain today. And I'm thinking, I knew it wasn't going <laughs> to rain today. I didn't want it to rain today. But we made do. We made do. Oh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, you know, um, I don't always, when you say it's, I know it's not going to rain or I know it's going to be this. But I do, I don't always vibrate with it, that exact message like, did you make it not rain today, Michelle? Oh, I didn't think I didn't make it not rain. But... There were a lot of people that didn't want it to rain, and right. I didn't feel it was going to rain. Right. I didn't feel in my body that it was going to rain, and I saw the sunshine in my head. And there yeah, it was. Yeah, oh, I'm all powerful. Let me yeah. just point my magic <laughs> finger at you, Eric. Well, If that was... were the case, I'd probably look a little bit differently than I do. Right? <laughs> Be floating on a cloud. Well, the, the one thing about when we talk about the disasters, the word that we use, natural disasters, we only have these forces because our planet is alive and breathing. Hurricanes happen because we have an atmosphere. We need an atmosphere to breathe. The plate tectonics, the planet shifting around of its crust, is only happening because it's a living, alive planet. Same thing with volcanoes. All these forces, they're not disasters. They are our planet doing its thing. That's right. And even for our and ancestors. And we do need the rain. Yeah, and you know, our, we love and our ancestors living light on this planet, you know, it wasn't a disaster for them. If it was drought then they moved that's right if it was if the water was gone they moved and found water if there if it was an earthquake well they were living in very simple light structures ah your teepee fell over <laughs> go put it back up that's again right. it's because of how we live on the planet and they lived in harmony yes, with nature absolutely yes. harmony is my word you know that's, as you know it's one of mine too yeah so um <laughs> you know we're getting oh no we, i guess we probably still have about 10 minutes um I'm doing the math in my head because of how we're going to engineer the show. But I I think You don't have 15 minutes worth of songs, huh? Um, Yeah, I do. But I'm looking at how much time has Mm. gone on the podcast recorder, and we want to be sure we fill that by the time we drop music in. 
all that technical stuff. Mm-hmm. You see, our listeners know that I don't like doing the technical stuff. This show requires that I stay and I drop in and edit with our engineer here at the station. I'm sure our I'm sure our listeners appreciate all your hard work and all the effort you put into it. <laughs> it's not that much. I'm complaining. It's really not that much hard work. But that is not my forte. Doing the technical aspect of it is not my my thing. But when, if we get a guest like Greg Braden, we're going to do everything we can. You know, we're here earlier in the day to pre-record the show um, because I, I love the work that he's doing. He's gotten more, not less relevant as, as time goes on. The science is there supporting his ideas that he used to allude to. Now he can draw from and mm-hmm. say, here it is. Here's the papers. Here's the research. Here's the studies. And what he's finding is it doesn't matter. Both religion and science are still in their camps going, you know, we're not really ready to, to alter our story yet. I, because sometimes we, our human nature is to be fixed but, yeah. rather than fluid. And to- you just totally. talked about the feminine aspect, in my opinion, and in the, the opinion of many others, is that the feminine aspect of humanity is fluid. It's, it's intuition. It's feeling. And, and so when we learn to be fluid, like he's demonstrating, I love what Greg was demonstrating, that he just invited these scientists to consider a different way to language it. And I, I, Eric, you're cracking me up with what you're doing. It's, it's distracting. Um, yeah, I've been told. He's fanning himself with his shirt because he's hot in the studio. It's hot. The air conditioning is not working. She said, I know I texted her and she said, we can't change it, but oh. you're funny. Um, yeah, I just, you just cracked me up. Boy. But we, we are, you know, I want to mention something while we have a couple minutes. Um, lately, I have been asked to do a couple of things. I, I did a podcast. You did your podcast with Matt Belair, remember? Mm -hmm. And listeners, if you have not seen Eric Rankin's interview with our dear friend Matt Belair, go to YouTube and look at it because you want the visual with Eric showing his his structure. Styrofoam balls. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was such a great interview. And speaking of that, if you want to see Eric's presentation at Star Knowledge this weekend and you can't get here by air or train or car, they are going to live stream it and have it repeatable so that anybody who pays $33 can get the entire conference and watch it anytime they want, 20 times if they want. And there will be some big nuggets of information at that conference. I'm going to drop some big nuggets. It, oh, there you go. No. Eric Franken, <laughs> you are. I am. You are. You, I love your, I love, you have really gotten your presentation down. And I would like our listeners to visualize with me now and see Eric on Ancient Aliens in the History Channel. And all, I see him doing the talking circuit with the information that he's, he's honed in on. He's, he's. I love how humble you are and how you present the information, but it's time for you to get out there and really share it with the rest of the world because I think your message is you've, you've finally gotten the messaging down. Yeah, it took a while for yeah. the message to actually percolate to me. You know, I don't force things. I let things, and it has been years. Yeah. This, But there is a beautiful message, just like with Greg Braden's one-word message, message of compassion mm-hmm. that came to him. There really is every reason to believe that we live in a harmonic universe, and when you think of harmony... Just the word. It can be a musical term, you know, harmony, and it sounds pretty. Or it can be a word like systems harmoniously getting along with each other. And that is literally what all of my research has has shown Mm -hmm. through ancient texts and everything else, that there is every reason to believe that we are living in a harmonious universe. 
And I love that. So what I was leading, that leads me right into what I was going to talk about. Okay. I did a podcast with uh, my friend Erica Middlemiss. She was doing a podcast for Brandon on Positive Head Radio. He's another podcaster. And she asked me to speak about my experience at One Love. So it was a goddess-themed, I, I don't usually call myself a goddess, but it was a goddess-themed podcast about the class I took at um, One Love, which I shared with Eric. It was, uh, it was all about sacred union. And so I went through the whole, every you know, not everything we did, but a lot of the little components to the Tantra workshop we were in. And I started talking about you, and I talked about the... Um, the King's List chimes that were created that we've been playing. You play them in your um, sure. in your presentation. And I said to her, yeah, I've started selling these King's List chimes because they do feel like they clear energy. They feel like I feel more harmonious when I play them for myself. I had to go play them. After I talked to you yesterday, it was like, what else do I know to do? Oh, my tools. My tool is my King's List chimes. And so I played them on the radio, on this podcast, and a woman contacted me from San Francisco and bought a set of them just because she heard them on that show. So I just wanted to let our listeners know that there are tools out there that can help us bring more harmony into our lives. Yeah. And we're finding them. Sound healing is a huge component to us moving forward during times that appear chaotic and we've got to find our center again and find our connection to all life. And I believe that is through sound, sound therapy and sound healing. We talk about that a lot on the show. Do you know who we have on the show next? I do not. Next week we have Nancy Caruso. Oh, yes. The, the, the kelp the, lady. The kelp lady, yes. Yeah. And, and I'm hoping that we get the captain of our dolphin boat and the owner of the boat that takes us out on the water to see the dolphins. So that's next week. And then the week after, do you know who we have on? No. I'm, I'm testing you. <laughs> you don't remember saying yes? Uh, no. We are going to have our friends from Greece All on, right. Giannis and Argie. They're going to be on, and I love the title of the show that came through, Ancient Music, The Bridge to Our Future. Mm -hmm. So and that's going to be on November 21st. I believe yeah. that, that ancient music. You know, we have been teased with information, and a lot of it has been numerical, and the numbers... Um, means something if we apply harm or if we apply frequency to them. It's incredible that something like an, an ancient document, the Sumerian Kings List, 6,000 years old. It is the, in the oldest form of writing, one of the most significant pieces of cuneiform writing is called the Kings List. And in that list, in order, are the numbers 288, 364, 32. Those numbers don't really mean anything. 288. 360 and, and 432. Because I always think you say 364, and I'm like, nope, that's oh, no. not right. 360, 360, just like a circle. Yes. And 432. Okay. So those numbers don't really mean anything. Uh, 360, of course, is the circle. But then you play them as frequencies, and you go, well, how do you judge the frequency? A frequency is a measurement of some arbitrary measurement of time. But even the back 6,000 years ago, we were gifted how to define a second is one eighty-six thousandth four hundredth of a day. There's 86,400 seconds in a day. So we were even given the formula, even though there were not ticking clocks 6,000 years ago, we were given the formula to how to arrive at a second. So we were not only given the number values to play a frequency, but we were given the time value to play them by. And sure enough, you play these frequencies together, 
They're numerically perfect harmonic. They're represented in growth cycles like the Fibonacci sequence. They're revealed by geometry, numerically perfect harmonics. It matters that we are exposing ourselves to these frequency sets, and they have been left for us. I have zero they, doubt they in my mind. They equal nine, nine, nine. All equal nine. They all equal yeah, nines. Yeah, yeah. That, that right there tells me it's that has something to do with the evolution of our soul because the number nine is completion in numerology. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's fascinating information to me. Sometimes I get so obsessed about it and I drop so deep into it and a little bit more comes and I can't hardly think of anything else. And just like Jesus said, motion and rest or pulse, there's times when I feel like I need to let it rest or I would just kind of go crazy yeah. and, I, and I let it rest. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I, I, every once in a while I feel like I'm in communication with my guides. You know, I've mm -hmm. told you that. Yeah. And at, there's times, there was one time in particular said, you know, I know I could be a promotion machine. This feels like very important information I know I could be working harder every day to share it, whether it's lecturing or whatever. And they said, listen, you already did more than we ever thought you would. You're kind of like, you're at least likely to succeed anyway. I love <laughs> you're that. The, you're the but, dark horse. But one of the things that I think that really demonstrates to us, Eric, is that you are living your life and you love your life mm -hmm. and you're living your passion. And if your passion is to take a walk on the beach and not be doing sacred sonic, sonic geometry and not be out presenting and promoting. I mean, you know, that's me too. A lot of people are like, why didn't you get your website up? How come you're not working on your website? And I say, because I'm enjoying my life. Or I'm going where the energy takes me. I think it's really important. Yesterday, the energy took me to the tragedy for my friend. And, you know, even though I was trying to be getting ready for star knowledge and doing the volunteer schedule and all that kind of stuff, the energy took me in a different direction. So I like that you honor where the energy takes you. I And I am going to enjoy this life. I, yeah. I recognize it for the gift that I believe it to be, that it is really such a, a divine gift. And we are here to enjoy uh, it. And to feel it. it and yes. to feel it. And to, to feel it. Yeah. And if you're... If you want That's to drop why into when we feeling, say this is really fun. <laughs> yeah, if you drop into the feeling, you know uh, that's you open up to love, compassion. I mean, really, if you drop into what do I want to feel? That's why I kind of believe when people say love is the force of the universe, and and doubting Thomases just go, what? That's just a bunch of new age mumbo jumbo. But if you had an option of things you wanted to feel, you know, I'm dropping into my feeling mode. What would you desire to feel? Love and compassion mm -hmm. and music. I believe is the universal language of love is music because what music does, I haven't met anybody that says, Oh, I hate music. There's some form of music that they love somewhere. I mean, my mom doesn't care to listen to music a lot, but boy, if you play Neil Diamond for her, she'll get up and she'll start dancing. So yeah, I say you, that's not true, mom. You do like music. You just don't like most of the kind of music that you were exposed to when you had two teenagers in the house. <laughs> <laughs> but if I played Neil Diamond, I'd get you up dancing. Right. She just wasn't a quiet riot. No, she wasn't. She <laughs> Motley was, Crue fan. <laughs> she wasn't a great white fan. Yeah. Well, anyway, I think we're pretty much at the end of the show here. It's been really, really Fun. It's it been has fun. been really fun. And, you know, Greg Braden, I, I just can't thank him enough for coming on to the show. Uh, when we started the show five years ago, just wondering what the heck, how are we going to keep this dialogue a new guest every week? And what is the caliber of guests? And we've had some amazing people that aren't famous, but we've also had the famous people. Deepak Chopra's, Marianne Williamson's, Masaru Emoto, you know, Jonathan Goldman, Greg Braden. 
we've had amazing people on this show, and it just says. And your you know, name, your name dropping, but I, I like that you said we've had amazing people that aren't famous, and I would say yet because I see the potential in some of our guests. Oh, look, for sure. look at Torkum G, and look yes. at I mean we have had. I, I now I'm like drawing a blank on all the. We've had so, so many, many people, incredible people. That and yes, and I can't think of the young guy's name. Um, I can't think of it. But we've had lots of people that are blossoming for mm-hmm. sure. That are, and you know, everybody we honor. They don't have to be famous to be on the show for sure. We don't want to predicate it that way. People are doing it. In fact, the unsung heroes to me are often the most heroic. They're not yeah. making money at holding this vibration or going out and doing the work that they're doing. They're doing it because they know it's the right thing. Yeah, there, there are shows that I'll go back and listen to. We have five years of podcast library. I love listening to the Conscious Music Festival's Heal the World show that I did. That, that one really lifted me. Or the Cannabis Consciousness show we did. Or the Sexual Predators. What was it called? Spiritual Predators, spiritual not predator, Sexual. Right. Spiritual Predators. That was an incredible that show. That was a, a show. And we're going to we'll do – we haven't really done a, a show, Divine Sexuality, but I think that's an important Well, yeah, one. we just – I think Josie should come in for that she one. Should. The lady that taught the Sacred Union Workshop at yep. One Love is mm-hmm. named Josie Keys on Facebook. She's Josie Posey. But she did an amazing job of yep. getting people to really get comfortable with what I would call sacred sexuality sure. or sacred union. Healthy sexuality. Yeah, and she did it. My two, two of my best friends who are both single – she paired them up with two guys who they didn't know. And at one point, my husband was doing one of the exercises. And all I could say to him is, what does Nadia's face look like right now? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, not good. She was stretched out of her comfort zone. Sure. But she really appreciated it. And Victoria really appreciated it. Victoria tells me I don't cry very much. And we looked over and she was crying. So their mm. hearts were being busted open. And they were getting out of their comfort zones and... You know, really feeling honored and and getting those new tools that I think a lot of people, we weren't trained right. (laughs) No. Well, we have been conditioned. You know, when sex became, because we have these urges, we have it built into us of sexual desire and joy and unity and all of that. But if something's so powerful, the, I don't know if it's the marketing machine or just our lower vibrational selves or power, but we we use sex in ways that aren't sacred that aren't loving, that aren't open. And I love that opportunity to talk about that connection in that way. So, I'll get that show lined up. Yeah, and we'll let our sure. listeners know when that one's coming as well. Well, it's been great. It has I, been. Thank you so much thank for you. coming down early and doing the show. And I think this is one that I will want to listen to numerous times. Me as uh, well. Because I love the integration. You know, as I go out to the Integratron now, I remind the guests, integration is such a key word. You know, it's not just, um, it's not just, it's spirit or science. It's the integration. It's, we're getting out of the polarity and into the integration. Masculine, feminine, spirit, science, dark, light, motion, rest. It's the integration of those things where we truly expand and awaken. And that's what um, you know. my life is about. And Greg Braden addresses that. So mm-hmm. I was really grateful. Thank you, listener, for tuning in. We will be back next week. Uh, stay friends with us on Facebook. Like us on Facebook. Give us, drop us a message if you have an idea for a show or, or a or guest or comments. a song. I'm really loving the comments. I'm going to start yeah. reading our listener comments on the air again. Yeah, well, I, we haven't been doing that as much, right? And I think we should probably even, uh, you know, since. 
put some things out on Facebook, ask some questions mm -hmm. that we can read on the air and address and from our friends. Because we have friends from all over the world, and it's really a wonderful opportunity for us to, to connect. Yeah. Love, there's that connection. There you go. Thank you very much. Thank uh, you. Thank you every much. Oceans Thank of you love. very much, everybody. Yes. That's what I, I was just shorthanding. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. Oceans Thank you so much. Love. This is Admin Colleen, and you're listening to Awakening Code Radio with host Eric Rankin. You can find Awakening Code Radio on iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And free podcasts are always available at kx935.com.